Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Censored. It's Lloyd Maeve here with two prefatory notes up top so one is as you'll probably hear although maybe hopefully you won't hear it um there's a slight issue with the audio on my side of this episode there's a kind of echo thing um and a slight bit of of sort of buzzy distortion that goes on it fades as the episode progresses but hopefully it won't prove too intrusive and might add to the sort of lo-fi charm of this episode about video uh the second thing is that um in the course of this episode um, it turned out that we had sort of so much material uh, that the, uh, you know, we'd set the tape to um, kind of long play mode. And um, as such, we've had to make the uh, novel decision for us to split it into two parts. So part one, which you're going to listen to today, is all about um, the sort of video nasties, moral panic and the kind of legislative background to it and how video nasties get handled under British and Irish law. And then the second episode, which will be coming in future week, um, is going to be all about some specific examples of video nasties, looking at their covers and talking about um, gore and blood spatter and all the, the good things to which one goes um, to video nasties for. Um, so enjoy that and uh, apologies for this brief intrusion. Welcome to Censored. I'm Dr. Lloyd Maeve Houston. And I'm Dr. Aoife Vrtnach. And today we are doing one of our asymmetrical explainer episodes where one of us has gone away and, you know, just really opened up the full throttle on our hyperfocus and is going to, well, I guess in the spirit of this episode, disgorge and guide that information all over the other person. And in in this instance, I am the one who's going to be doing that. And we're going to be doing that on the topic of video nasties. So I guess in the, in the spirit of a magician sort of showing you that there's nothing up either sleeve, Aoife, what, what do you know of video nasties? <laughs> uh, nothing. I would safely say that they are not a type of film that ever attracted me. 
But also as a, a child growing up in the midst of this, we had no video player. So like we were absolutely deprived of any opportunity to be corrupted by this evil medium. <laughs> a fact that my mother was extremely smug about and we were very, very cross about it. There was nothing we could do about it. Um, and then since I, when I got my own video player, I learned that I really have no taste for fictional violence and representations of same on screen. They make me sick. So <laughs> I, I know nothing. Cool. Yeah, cool. I was going to, that, that was kind of something I was going to ask about was like, you know, when did the capacity to play recorded film come into your life? Oh, it would have been 18-ish. Yeah. So my whole childhood, we had... <laughs> no video we couldn't record from the telly yeah it was like we could read whatever we wanted my mother didn't give a shit about what we read <laughs> and that meant all of her bookshelf which included well obviously dh lawrence and people like that but you know she didn't think there were dirty books but she was convinced that television would rot your brain so yeah okay well yeah i mean you know we, uh, definitely a conversation we can circle back to around the implied value and perceived influence of different media and you know we can get maybe a bit Marshall McLuhan-ish about you know affordances and things but um but yeah I mean I guess in, in in ways you've you know sort of made clear there right the video nasty as category as bugbear as moral panic is very much a testament to the rather unexpected ways in which the commercial availability of video completely shifts the landscape and seems to catch basically everyone involved on the hop. Initially, the film industry is really wary of video because they kind of think, okay, the bottom is going to fall out of cinema screening if we back this too hard. So initially where film studios and producers do release things on video at all it's done in an extremely expensive way that's intended for video rental places which are seen as a sort of you know bottleneck on this and it isn't until a bit later that you get quote-unquote affordable video but what this leaves is a window where every buccaneer and opportunist on the market can seize a, a space to be filled here and what they particularly exploit is the fact that as a new medium, video eludes or evades a lot of existing licensing and regulation around the distribution of film. So what you have are a bunch of like video companies who come into being and take unlicensed films from a lot of different international markets and get them onto video and flood the, the sort of emerging video retail market with, you know, usually these very extreme, <laughs> deliberately pulpy things. So that, you know, there, there's, in terms of the sort of genealogy of this as a moral panic, it's a bit like what happens with comic books in the 50s, right? Oh, yeah. So there's, a, you know, Frederick Wortham's famous Seduction of the Innocents, which is this, you know, psychiatric sort of study of the effects of comics on the on the young mind and the way that they feed into juvenile delinquency, which becomes the basis for a series of congressional hearings that produces the Comics Code Authority of America. There's actually one of the early articles that kind of sets the video nasties trend in motion is just called the Seduction of the Innocents. So it's like it's it's almost like a citational sort of moral panic. But the term video nasty is 
doesn't originate with Mary Whitehouse, but is popularised by her. Mary Whitehouse is just everywhere. <laughs> She's got to be one of the most important figures for about 20 years in terms of censorship. Yeah, though. just like, yeah. I mean, her, her inexhaustible capacity to be outraged by things that she usually hasn't seen is a beautiful <laughs> staple of uh, of British culture from, yeah, the kind of 60s when she finds her kind of vigilance organisation through to... Yeah, you know, well into the kind of 80s and 90s. Her route into this is really funny. Um, basically, in order to generate controversy for um, one of the films they're putting out, um, Cannibal Holocaust, you'll find that can- cannibalism and the Holocaust crop up with a kind of alarming frequency in, in the video nasties. Um, but uh, basically the distributors of that sent her a copy or, uh, they yeah, did. Or, or sent a kind of complaint about it to her, I think, along with a copy. Like They, they were kind of pretending to be uh, an outraged, you know, concerned citizen and drew it to her attention. But, you know, she predictably kicks into full gear. And in tandem with that, you also have, responding to this kind of unregulated state of affairs, the director of public prosecutions in the UK, because there is no legal code particularly pertaining specifically to video, starts trying to catch people using the Obscene Publications Act of 1959. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, so like a new medium, but the old legislation. Well, precisely because that old legislation has like a particular set of sort of purchases it can get on the problem in a way that... So the Obscene Publications Act, to cut a very long story short, singles out any material likely to kind of corrupt or deprave those into whose fans it may fall. And what it targets is not the author or the text in a virtual sense. It targets specific, concrete, tangible manifestations of the text. You know, it's it's printed matter that it goes after. And so it targets publishers and like booksellers particularly so if it's on your shelves in a store commercially that's gonna that's where the problem comes in that's where the seizure occurs so i think the logic runs it's like okay right well you know we can't catch this upstream but we'll just go to places that have videos on their shelves and we'll just seize their whole stock and because you can't trust what's on a tip like you can't trust what's you know the 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 wrapper on the tip you have to watch the whole tip so it's a sort of weird period where like basically because i think it's you know it's a fun time for them you have whole sort of police forces devoting like insane numbers of man hours and officers to just watching tapes <laughs> you know <laughs> they're technically at work mm-hmm. and clocked on but they're all sitting around watching videos yeah and there are a lot of funny instances of people watching videos in in this story so when this eventually makes its way to the the houses of parliament there's <laughs> early in the debate over what becomes the the video recordings act of 1984 um a supercut of all the worst bits of all the worst video nasties is shown to MPs on the floor of the house. <laughs> um, but basically, you have all these seizures um, and and prosecutions being brought, and that is where the story gets a bit sadder. Like you know, people's livelihoods are being ruined here. People are being quite severely criminally prosecuted, and you know, some of the last, I think, the last prosecution under the Obscene Publications Act that you know stands to date is 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 under this this sort of mode but essentially local authorities start saying what are we looking for here can you provide us with a formula for what sorts of things we should be targeting and what emerges is a succession of memos that when taken together 
constitutes a list of 72 films um some of which the dpp believe would be definitely prosecutable under the act some of which are fringe cases um and i think of those 39 are systematically targeted and actually were found and destroyed as every cinephile in the 80s and 90s will tell you what it produced was just this really handy sort of like buyer's guide <laughs> of uh, you know the the worst films or the you know the the real gruesome grisly shit I'll, I'll not read all 72 but i'll take you through some of these and you can get a, a sense of what we're dealing with here things like axe stroke california or axe massacre <laughs> the beast in heat you know bloodbath fine yes a a succession of cannibal films cannibal apocalypse cannibal ferox cannibal holocaust cannibal man cannibal terror we also have (laughs) don't go in the house don't go in the woods alone don't go near the park don't look in the basement (laughs) they sound like public safety films i was gonna say yeah they they sound like we're those weird spooky bad public safety films from the 70s that do themselves feel like weird artifacts of cult horror there's uh, a crucial film in this or one that gets used a lot in the kind of campaign to uh, suppress these is the driller killer which is um abel ferrara's uh, first first film in which a guy kills a lot of people with a drill with a drill um, yeah. and it was sort of the the video box art for that which features stills from the film but with a big drill bit protruding from them <laughs> because i mean basically these things operate like if you think about how these things are being marketed it's very much the same principle that undergirded pulp publishing in the 40s and 50s right it's like lurid yeah. cover to hook you in right you know the the, the yeah. box is how you sell this so you go hard and some of these boxes do do go hard the evil dead which we'll, we'll hear about in a bit and then one of the more troubling things is there a substrate of these films riff on nazism and particularly the debaucheries as they frame it of camps so you've got things like the gestapo's last orgy oh my god or ss experiment camp and yeah you those are about as sensitively handled as you might (laughs) expect i spit on your grave another infamous one heard of that one yeah yes i've come across that and snuff another important one which basically creates the idea of the snuff film as a source of moral panic so yeah as a brief aside snuff is a film that is at least aspiring to be a kind of deconstruction of like the ethical stakes of documenting certain kinds of you know violence that so it follows it follows a film crew one of whom then becomes the kind of subject of a snuff movie within the snuff movie which people then misconstrued as being real so the idea that like actual filmed murder was circulating on video is a kind of epiphenomenon of a video Mm. nasty (laughs) it's you know it's this weird simulacrum for which there doesn't seem like you know obviously now with with certain corners of the internet these things do you know find a kind of wider circulation but but yeah so the idea of the snuff movie gets kind of produced by this there's actually a very good documentary on this from 2010 that can be relatively easily found online not to encourage piracy which is a a, a big issue of the video nasties thing as well <laughs> <laughs> but it's called video nasties moral panic censorship and videotape where you know riffing on sex lies and videotape directed yeah, yeah, yeah. by jake west but one of the things that everyone contributing to that talks about is how with the video nasties 
someone might have bought the original tape but then usually what will have happened is someone will have cloned the tape by like recording you know from one vcr to another and then each time you re-record or rip the tape like that you degrade the image quality a little bit further and then when you combine into that the fact that people will be constantly rewinding back to particular moments you then further degrade the quality so but what that does is cover up quite how creaky some of the special effects and sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it really hides a multitude of sins or gives everything a sort of you know that that slightly sort of flat visual quality that 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 video had in a way that probably amplifies the verisimilitude of some of this so you know in some ways obviously it's lovely that we get these beautiful 4k restorations of some of these classic horrors but in some ways, it also feels like, no, 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 low resolution is the way to view this. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah, I mean, nobody saw it like this. It was all a bit fuzzy and a bit squeaky. Yeah. Like, it's interesting that it must have become a, a kind of a visual experience and an oral experience all of its own unique to the video nasty, you know, compared to going to a standard film in the cinema or watching television. Like, it's a whole different experience completely so essentially what you have is a growing vigilance campaign saying that these videos are being marketed on the basis of their lurid content they have a capacity to kind of corrupt and deprave we have no way of regulating into whose hands they may fall you've got places being sort of raided and their whole stock taken and obviously the media love this you know it it, it becomes this perfect storm the the, the daily mail take this all up <laughs> mary whitehouse's sort of contingent commission quite dubious research into how widespread the sort of circulation of these videos is and what the effects of it on children are so there's a point whenever this report which is done at what is now oxford brooks but under quite shaky circumstances it, it's all been sort of disproved as a study but it alleges that over 40 percent of children under the age of six had seen a video nasty under the age of six yeah <laughs> now how that figure was arrived <laughs> was that like they how many video players are there there's not that many well you exactly know? <laughs> um there was a sort of counter study done which very rightly asked the question of like well you know children lie and they usually lie specifically about like the cool scary things they've done so they, yes yeah they gave them a list of some real video nasty titles and some they just made up and something like planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 50% of the children claimed that they had seen films that don't exist. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, that, that tracks, really. Yeah, so, you Come know, if, if you ask eight-year-old Timmy, have you seen Cannibal Holocaust in front of his friends? He's going to be like, yeah, I did, and it didn't even scare me. Like, so what? Yeah, yeah it was so cool. Like, <laughs> I'd eat you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of creaky research, but very quotable statistics emerging about yeah how apparently widespread all of this gets. Also, a lot of kind of stories about like, oh, children's parties have become you know just viewing parties for video nasties, and like, there's a cl- <laughs> I, I can't remember who makes it, but someone claims that like, oh, you know, the the conjurer has been replaced by the video nasty. <laughs> I mean, like, also the 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 children's party with your friends is such a middle class concept with a conjurer and entertainment. Yeah, that's not necessarily how everybody marked birthdays either. <laughs> Well, no, 100%. And and that is the other, you know, in classic fashion, that class is a big dimension of this, insofar as anytime anyone is getting on their soapbox to defend the right of these films to exist, not many people are being like, you know what, Cannibal Holocaust, a peerless work of cinema. <laughs> but they are saying like, within the exploitation genre within which it operates, it's doing interesting things. And, you know, fundamentally, people should at least have the option to view it. But... Anytime someone makes that sort of claim, it's like, well, it's all right for you to say that you're an intellectual, but what of those mm. who are not media literate, et cetera, et cetera. And so the the sense of the the innocent viewer in terms of the child and the moral panic figure of the child, but also the sense of the lumpen proletariat and their viewing habits and how this is now coming straight into their home, you know, mm. is all a big part of this. And so this all culminates in the passage of the Video Recordings Act in 1984, which is one of the most wide-ranging and thoroughgoing pieces of censorship legislation that actually is on the books, really, in Europe. Uh But really funnily, had to be reintroduced in 2010, because in 2009 they realised that they'd never sent it to the European Commission, so it actually had never had legal branches. (laughs) So they they frantically got it back through Parliament in like a single day to sort of be like, no, 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 still, still, still holds. We just forgot to complete the paperwork on this occasion. Well, you know, it wouldn't be like a Tory government to forget to run something by the, the EU, to be fair. Never. <laughs> did did that act have the word censorship actually in it or obscenity or any of the, the triggers that we are used to seeing? Well, what, one of the sort of ironies of this is that it's actually the act that changes the name of the BBFC. So it, oh. the Video Recordings Act um, empowers the BBFC to serve as a kind of um, classification and regulatory body for video as it had been doing for commercially screened film. 
but it also because it introduces this kind of classification dimension right they, they they're the ones who put the age ratings on the videos they be, they cease to be the british board of film censors and become the british board of film classification so there's a certain <laughs> irony that like at the point where they're becoming even more censorious than they had been for a long time they're also now you know kind of the most innocuously named <laughs> that they've ever been never trust bureaucracy when it rolls back from the clear word into something like administration classification examination it's always a cover for something that they just don't want to say but yes it is true they are just examining but examining with intent you know so the the video recording act establishes a set of sort of parameters for this that doesn't that skirts around using the language of like you know corrupt and depraved etc but just sort of develops a kind of meta language for it so there are some types of film and video that are just exempt from classification right you know things that are designed to inform educate or instruct or are concerned with sport religion or music they're exempt however they come under that sort of rubric and can be subject to restriction if they to contain to a significant extent any of the following human sexual activity or acts of force or restraint associated with such activity mutilation or torture of or other gross acts of violence toward humans or animals human genital organs or human urinary or excretory functions techniques likely to be useful in the commission of offenses or are likely to any significant extent to stimulate or encourage such sexual activities or are likely to any extent to encourage mutilation torture or gross violence or are likely to any significant extent to stimulate or encourage the commission of offenses so yeah. it's it's the old kind of you know imitable violence and sex and bodily functions stuff basically uh, yoking them together very explicitly so not just that the sex and the bodily functions are themselves obscene but they will create something violent if you watch this yes and there is this kind of fear that these video nasties are causing a crime wave so all of this emerges out of that like completely you know brain broken sort of satirite thing of like on the one hand you know there is no society anymore the state needs to get out of everyone's way we're all neoliberal now but on the other hand we're immensely socially conservative and extremely tough on law and order one person in that um, documentary i mentioned like talks about reading a, a story in in a, a paper where there have been a series of animal mutilations occurring somewhere and the police when interviewed were like we either attribute this to video nasties or the new moon <laughs> okay i was convinced you were going to say black magic and satanism because that was the next well one. i think i think that's what the new moon is yeah i guess maybe <laughs> bring code in. for satanism <laughs> but, but yeah to round off the story in terms of bringing in its irish dimension ireland has a version of this but it's a slightly weirdly staggered one but one that then gets really tough toward the end <laughs> so in January 1980, there's a, new, a newspaper story that sort of runs with how, oh, censor wrong-footed by video and notes how you can buy videos of uncut versions of films that had either been banned outright or heavily cut by the censor. So the examples Ooh. it gives include Carnal Knowledge from 1972, The Stud from 1978, and its sequel, The Bitch from 1980. <laughs> which i think is a joan collins movie <laughs> yeah i was just i was just gonna say is that the based on the joan collins novel that was also bad yeah so it's yeah that's 
but yeah, wow. so you can get those on video. And a company called Video Entertainments begin importing and distributing stuff in Ireland. Um, basically, after ringing around different relevant bodies to just check that there's no particular legal purchase <laughs> on this, so they contact the censor's office, they contact the Garda, um, they contact revenue um, commissioners. Um, all of them are sort of like, yeah, I mean, censor doesn't actually seem to have any legal mandate to deal with this. Um Individual rev- revenue officers are responsible for determining whether a shipment should be withheld or not. So, yeah, seems like this can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, in, 19- in, the, in mid-1981, the Irish Times ran a series on how video was kind of circumventing censorship. So the first story was called Show Your Own Blue Movies. <laughs> and you know enlisted the things that like you know like the the person who wrote it would manage to get their hands on a copy of deep throat and stuff oh nice and then so that sounds a bit like our you know garage garage porn well exactly and it gets better because the second story is public house picture shows and it's just about how like pubs are just you know screening like un like pirate copies uncut copies of films like weeks before they're due to go into the cinema so, you know, apparently like 10 pubs in Tralee are in on this and, you know, screening stuff no like weeks way. before it reaches the cinema and before it's been censored. But, and But there were no tellies in pubs until the 90s. Well, or were there? Apparently, <laughs> you know, high-end Tralee <laughs> establishments <laughs> were, <laughs> were leading the curve on this. Also, I, I should add, obviously, as, as always, we are in, indebted to Kevin Rocket's big book for this information, but... But yeah, apparently piracy is basically the main issue initially. It's mm. the film industry itself that are like, pir- like we are losing, we are hemorrhaging money <laughs> through this, or there is so much, you know, kind of potential legitimate income that is being missed because of this. Uh, n- the moral panic doesn't really get underway till like the mid '80s, which is a bit different. You know, it's already played out in Britain. Right, you've already had the the sort of vi- the VRA by 1984. But Rocket suggests that it's basically probably because there's slow uptick for video equipment because Ireland Mm. is in a recession for most of the early 80s. So, you know, video does okay. Like in in August 1980, there are 20,000 VCRs imported and they're selling for about 550 quid. But, you know, Mm -hmm. demand is outstripping supply at that point. But by 1986, there's only 20,000, 200,000 units in the country and about 500 places selling video, where the industry had sort of expected that to be about three times as many. So the number of homes with VCRs remains limited. But by 1986, we do have the Select Committee on Crime, Lawlessness and Vandalism getting involved. Ooh, vandalism. Why van... Okay, van... So breaking up... Like the public bins and putting them on fire is connected to watching video nasties. Well, basically everything in this period somehow <laughs> becomes connected to video nasties. It's a committee on which there are a few familiar names. So Bertie Hearn's in there. Yeah, let's see. We've got Bertie Hearn, Vincent Brady, Liam Crosgrave, you know, figure of great probity. <laughs> um, Brian Cowan, Joe Doyle, Mary Flaherty, Alice Glenn, Mary Harney. So there are some women, but it's, you know, skews skews male quite heavily, but it's chaired by Michael Woods. So they produce a report on video nasties um, and use the term explicitly, which is quite fun. So it's it's in the parliament. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is uh, report number 10 controls on video nasties. Um, 
At its meeting on 19th of February 1986, the committee expressed concern at what it considers to be a tendency toward a higher tolerance for violence in our society. The presence of violence and sexual abuse on videos, films and television was considered to contribute to a lowering of standards in society generally and to the unconscious conditioning of people to accept such standards. Ooh, that's yeah. very, very insightful. Unconscious conditioning, mm, I see. Yeah, being brainwashed into into being yeah. violent rogues. The the people they hear from are sort of fairly telling in terms of like the 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 comes being determined in advance, shall we say? So they had meeting with the Irish Videogram Association, which I guess makes sense. They meet with the film censor, obviously representatives from RTE. But they also hear from CASE, which is the Campaign Against Sexual Exploitation, who pursue a very Andrea Dworkin-ish. All pornography is priming people to commit sexual violence. They're they're sex-negative feminists in that sort of formulation. Oh, so in that sense, the American sort of feminist porn wars are playing out in Ireland as well. Yes, yeah, kind of a a sort of localised version of that is, is occurring here and they're being heard from. And, you know, they they make the case that these films, which, you know, to be fair, treat women heinously. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. We'll talk more maybe about that. But, yeah, you know, there is a lot for feminists and people of any stripe to, to be troubled by in terms of how women and their bodies and how, you know, particularly sort of sexual assault is is leveraged in in these films they also hear from dr j robbins who's from the department of health and marie dr marie woods from the sexual assault unit at the rotunda hospital so the conclusion that is reached is very much that video is rendering available to you know susceptible young impressionable irish mind an emulatable model of sexual violence and lawlessness and a very conservative framing is adopted, but one that is given a kind of liberal sheen through the involvement of case and so on as well. So it's like, no, 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 you know, this is not paternalistic censoriousness. We're, we're, we're acting in the interests of, of, of Ireland's women in, mm. in opposing this filth. And so that report f- forms the basis for, initially there's a private member's bill, but then the Department of Justice kind of are bringing their own bill. And... Basically, to cut a long story short, it winds up being very similar to the, its British equivalent, but it arguably goes further in the categories it, it establishes and receives very little opposition. Like nobody is kind of coming uh, out yeah. in defense of, of video or the kinds of films that are perceived to be among the video nasties. It's very hard to defend in the sense of, you know, that this is art. It's like, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's titillation entertainment and definitely commercial like you know it's hard to defend it on the basis of free expression for artists which would be the normal way of opposing censorship yeah no you you have to get quite far into the the meta pleasures of trash and schlock to to really (laughs) kind of make it make a case for this but what it means is that this it, it doesn't really get kind of finalized and passed until like and come into effect until 1991 so Ireland has this really? Yeah, really long period where video is essentially unregulated Gosh, <laughs> in, a, in a way that is. Yeah. So on the one hand, yes, we do get this belated and kind of almost citational, like fashioned in the kind of mold of its British equivalent, moral panic around video. But there's also not a lot of urgency about addressing <laughs> this, really. <laughs> like, yeah, it's terrible. God, we really should fix this. I mean, maybe next year we could get round yeah. to it. 
<laughs> so yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. And again, you know, to to put the call out to to our listeners, like if you have any memories of you know being able to access unexpectedly something on video that you know you might not have been able to to sort of see see elsewhere, like please please let us know what well, you know what was the, was there a kind of sweet spot window also let us know if you watch something in a pub that would be <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and how big the telly was because it must have been small like the big screens don't come in until italia 90 really because of the football oh sorry you know just, these just huge on, screens. On that, as that as an aside you want to know what the um what the best-selling video in ireland was in i think 1980 what it was the pope's visit as distributed by rte <laughs> it, was, it was the 1979 papal papal visit <laughs> so um uh yeah that was being shown in a lot of church halls i suspect yeah i'm sure that was we wheeled into a lot of classrooms uh <laughs> I can see why it would be popular, though, because so many people were there that they might have been hoping to spot themselves in the audience. No, completely. And and yeah, this does facilitate that sort of odd sense of, you know, own the moment that you were peripherally part of. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it plays out basically as you'd expect in that regard. But, you know, we there are specific moments that arise out of this that we can maybe revisit in in future but, but yeah you know the, the the things that get targeted early on are the ones you'd expect so i think the texas chainsaw massacre is like the second film mm. you know it's like they sort of index it like you know the year and then the number so it's like 1991 one you know 1991 two and i think 1991 two is texas chainsaw massacre but yeah i mean i'm conscious that i've already basically spoken for the full length of an episode but if we want <laughs> without actually giving me a huge detail on any of the films that are the video nasties well okay apart from their titles so we can you know like a like a, a mangled videotape you know chewed up and, and spat out out of sequence yeah i guess we'll see how we fix this in the edit <laughs> <laughs> 